All right, you guys can be seated. You guys are looking good this morning. Slap a friend, tell them it's going to be a good morning today. There you go. You have been waiting for that moment. You have been waiting to slap your roommate. It's true. Well, like you said, my name is Terry Parkman. I have the privilege of serving as uh, now the lead campus pastor and next-gen pastor at River Valley Church. Um, yeah, I love my church. It's a great church. I also get to serve with uh, this organization called One Hope that's passionate about getting the gospel in the hands of every child in the world. Like by 2033, we just hit the two billionth child that we have given a gospel to around the world. And we're going for two billion more in the next 10 years. So we're running after it. I'm passionate about the next generation. I'm all about the next generation because I believe that what God does in the next generation here determines where the world goes. And each and every single one of us, not when we have a title, not when we have an office, not when we have influence, but today, all you need is a calling. Each and every single one of us are responsible for the generation that we are a part of. And I take that very seriously as a leader. I have two members of the next generation in my family. My daughters, Avali and Nova. I don't know if you got a picture. You can put it up on the screen. They are amazing little girls. They are. Everybody say, aw. That's it. That's it. There's sunshine and hurricane all wrapped into one. You don't know what you're going to get at any given time. But Nova's on the right. Okay, Avali's on the left. Avali is like a ray of sunshine wrapped in love and puppies. Like that's, that's her. Nova is a Category 5 hurricane. You, you know what I'm saying? Like the other day, the other day I caught her dunking her sister in the pool. I said, what are you doing? She's like baptizing her for a really long time, Dad. I said, girl, you got a problem. The last week I woke up like at 3 a.m. and she's standing next to me, my, next to my bed with her black hair draped over her face saying, Daddy, I wish we were closer. I wish I could wear your skin so I could feel you closer to me. I'm like, get the grudge out of my room right now. Like, get out. Like, this kid is always testing boundaries. Like, she's got a problem, a problem doing what she's told. I'll say this. I do love her. She's amazing, and she's cute. Cuteness is her defense mechanism, by the way. But she uh, has a problem doing what she's told. And, and like, like, when I asked her to clean her room the other day, she drew me a picture of a clean room, but she didn't clean her room. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't get it. It would be like if I said, hey, go ahead and clean your room, and then she hands me the picture. This girl is on mission. She gets what she's supposed to do. She goes where she's supposed to go, but she's out of alignment with the assignment that I gave her. It would be like if I told her to clean her room, and she invited her friends to her room. And when they're in the room, they wrote songs and sang songs about what it is to clean a room. And then they read articles in Better Homes and Gardens or whatever Joanna Gaines has out there about how to clean your room. And then after that, she came to me and said, Daddy, I'm done. And I'll say, but did you clean your room? Well, no, Dad, we, we wrote songs about cleaning the room. We read articles about cleaning the room. I invited friends to sit around, and we talked about cleaning the room. And I'll say, but did you clean it? On mission, but out of alignment. And it's no different for us. Because sometimes when God commands us to do something, it would be like us saying, God, I sat in small groups with friends to talk about what you command me to do. I sang songs about it, God, and we read places in the Bible where other people have obeyed you. But then God will ask you, did you actually do it? The title of this message today is called On Mission, But Out of Alignment. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to be here and to hear your word. 
God, we are transformed by your word. The very nature of hearing your word is transformation. That means we can't leave changed. We can't, we can't leave unchanged, God. We will leave transformed. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you help our hearts to be fertile soil, God, for the word that you want to plant in us. In your name. And everybody said, amen. On mission, but out of alignment. This message has been stirring around. This is the very first time in my whole life I've ever preached this message, so bear with me. But it's something that's been stirring on my heart as I have the opportunity to travel around the world and talk to young leaders and leaders of the next generation. As I talk to people in the marketplace and these up-and-coming emerging individuals who are about to change the game. And one thing that I see in every single one of them is that they want more of God and they want to do what God says, but for some reason they do everything but actually following through and doing what God says. And there is a difference from wanting to do something and actually doing something. David Livingston, the great missionary, said that sympathy is no substitute for action. Wanting to do something doesn't ring the bell. And yet we live in a world of gratification to where if we just post about it, like I stand with Ukraine, or I stand with this, or I stand with that, that we have done enough. And that is not enough. We must do more. But we have conditioned ourselves as a society and as a generation, to be absolutely satisfied with talking about something and not doing something. About talking about it and not being about it. About being on mission at the university that God has called you to, maybe serving in the job that God has called you to serve in, but out of alignment with the very thing that God has called you to do. We see examples all through the Bible as this illustrated. Judges 16, Samson, he is a judge. He is on mission, but he is out of alignment with his behavior. Jonah, he is on mission as a prophet, but he is out of alignment with the assignment that God gave him. Saul, sacrificing and not waiting for Samuel to come and make the sacrifice, and instead making the sacrifice himself, he was on mission as a king, but out of alignment with what God said. And Absalom, the heir apparent to everybody in the day in 2 Samuel, took matters into his own hands. On mission as a son of David, but out of alignment with the actions that he took. And one of the biggest hindrances to Christian leaders today is that we think that simply being on mission is enough. When you got to be in alignment with what God tells you. You have to be in alignment. That's why I believe that a lot of Christian leaders today are absolutely miserable. Miserable in what they're doing. They're miserable in their job. They complain about their church. They complain about the place that God called them to. They complain about the finances. They complain about the budget. They complain about the relationships. And that complaining is a byproduct of feeling disempowered because you are out of alignment with God's will. That's crazy to me. What would happen if believers and Christian leaders would step back into alignment, not only stay on mission, but step back into alignment with what God said? Let me, hear, let me say this to you today. If you aren't in alignment, you will fail the assignment. I'm going to say that again. If you aren't in alignment, you will fa fail the assignment. There's a key moment in the Bible where I think this is exemplified, and it's not by somebody who's a screw-up, like some of the people that we had mentioned before. It's not by somebody who's jaded. It's not by somebody who is deconstructing. It's not by somebody who's trolling social media and getting in the comments. It's by one of the most faithful servants of God. It's by Elijah. Let me take you there. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, this is where Elijah's on Mount Carmel, but this isn't where we're going to stay. 1 Kings 18, Israel is in a rough state. They have been in a drought for the last three and a half years because Elijah prayed for it as a punishment for their idolatry. You see, King Ahab 
and Queen Jezebel plunged all of Israel into idolatry to the point where worship of Yahweh had almost completely fallen apart. And because of that, God sent a drought for three and a half years. The economy was decimated. The food was gone. It was rough. And so at the end of that three and a half years, God tells Elijah to challenge the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. There's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And Mount Carmel is close to the border between Israel and Phoenicia. Now, Phoenicia is where Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, who brought a lot of the Baal worship into Israel, that's where she's from. And what does Elijah do? He challenges her at the highest place where Baal worship happens on her turf. So this guy is a G, all right? I just want to put that out there. Like you read earlier, this guy does not sway. He doesn't falter. Ahab sends people to arrest him. The, the cops roll up on him. He calls up fire from heaven and it burns him up. Like this guy's got no problems handling business. He is a G. He says, you know what? Not only am I going to meet you on Mount Carmel, which is the high place of Baal. Not only am I going to meet you at the highest place between Phoenicia and Israel. Not only am I going to meet you on a mountain that was known for its abundance of crops and fertility, but I'm going to meet you there and I'm going to win. So here he is. He meets him at ground zero for Baal worship. And he calls them all together. You guys, you know the story. He says, go ahead and build an altar and let's sacrifice. And whoever's God answers by fire is the one true God. We know the story. So you have the prophets of Baal dancing around, cutting themselves, yelling. And Elijah, again, is trolling him. He's mocking. Maybe he doesn't hear you. Maybe shout louder. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's on a trip. I don't know where he's at. But he's in his first Kings 18 moment. This man is in his bag. He is exactly where he needs to be. So he is sitting there with the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal can't get it done. Keep in mind that we focus on the fire that comes out of heaven, but this wasn't a battle for fire. This was a battle for rain because Baal was the storm God. He was the one who they worshiped to bring fertility and God brought drought for their idolatry. Are you starting to see the comparison here today? And so he's saying, if Baal answers by fire, then the storm God is going to show up and he's going to bring rain. And guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And then Elijah prays and his sacrifice is consumed by fire from heaven. And then he orders all the prophets of Baal killed. And then he shows everybody who the true God is because God answers by fire, completely consumes the sacrifice. And then Elijah goes and he prays in a rain like no other. So in this moment, Elijah's in his first Kings 18 moment. He's standing there. He just defeated the prophets of Baal. They've been in a drought for three and a half years. The fake storm God didn't answer. Yahweh answers. And now he's going to take it one step further and pray in the rain. And then when the rain starts rolling in, the Bible says he walked up to Ahab and says, get your chariots going. It looks like it's going to be a storm. And the Bible said he girded his loins. Okay? Don't read into that. Don't go to your concordance. But the man girded his loins and he outran horses and chariots on foot. That's the one miracle that I want to do in my life. Raise the dead, outrun horses, and have everybody see it. Like, that's it. Today was a good day for him. It was a good day. 
This man was on top of the world. I mean, how many of you have ever had a 1 Kings 18 day in your life where absolutely everything goes right? I mean, Starbucks spells your names right, right? Target's clothing rack is on point. Your followers on social media go up by a thousand. You got a check that you didn't expect in your mailbox. Your friend came through with that Netflix password. Hey, how many of you are a friend that gives away Netflix passwords? You know what I mean? You are feeling on mission and in alignment with God's will. But there's always a 1 Kings 19 to your 1 Kings 18. And you got to keep that in mind. There's always a 1 Kings 19 with your 1 Kings 18. Because in 1 Kings 19, Queen Jezebel comes along and she is having none of it. She is playing no games. She's evil. She's conniving. And in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 2, it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. She gave him a 24-hour death notice. 24 hours. And she has followed through with things in the past. In 1 Kings 18.4, she followed through in the past with persecuting and killing other prophets. So this chick has a track record of following through with what she says. And for some reason, 1 Kings 18, Elijah, the G, the hardcore prophet who handles God's business on the daily, the man who raises the dead, who calls down fire from heaven for fun, he gets scared and just runs. Like, I'm so confused because Elijah was like Alpha. Like, he was the guy. He was the man. And, and like, other people had threatened to kill him, arrest him, whatever. It didn't bother him. But Jezebel steps up to the plate and she says, you got 24 hours and you will be dead. And this man just takes off. He runs. And we say, why is he running? I'm confused. Why? Because often after your highest moments, you crash hard and the enemy uses it as a moment to throw you off your game. And he often does it with something that has a track record of defeating you. The enemy ain't going to show up with something fresh. He's going to show up with something that's a track record in your life. And so I got to ask you the question, what have you allowed to exist in your life that has gained a track record on you. We always say new levels, new devils. Uh-uh. Satan ain't going to bring something new. He's going to bring something old that took you out the last two levels you gained. He's going to come at you with a track record. That's why Elijah was so afraid because he thought, as we see in 1 Kings 18, he's sitting there flexing on Mount Carmel saying, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one standing here. I'm the only one. And then he has a hit on his life. He goes, whoa, I'm the only one. And if I'm dead, then God, God's name is wiped out. I got to get out of here. And he takes off at his lowest point because he knows a person threatening him has a track record. What is the thing in your life that your brain has neurologically been rewired to pursue passive pain rather than passive God presence because of a track record in your life? In Ephesians 4.27, it says that we're not to give the devil a foothold Students, hear me. Church, hear me when I say this. The devil doesn't get footholds. He's given footholds. He's given footholds. And the track records in our life, those sins that we fall back in, those, those places where we might be on mission, but we fall out of alignment to go ahead and indulge ourselves in things that take us further away from God, those are the places where we give the devil a foothold on mission, but out of alignment. And I want to take a minute here. I just want to take a beat because we just have a few minutes left. Are you on mission and out of alignment? And are you out of alignment because of a track record that you haven't dealt with in the past? 
because of something that the enemy has shown up at your doorstep with that has tried to take you out. You see, Jezebel had a track record with Elijah, and he's, and he's already tired and wiped out and emotionally drained from the previous days of running. So he flees to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the place Moses encountered God, the burning bush moment, the Ten Commandments. And on his way, he collapses in exhaustion under a broom tree and asks God to kill him. In 1 Kings 19.4, it says, Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And this broom tree ain't a tree. It's a shrub. So this man is done. He has had a bad day. And I wonder where that 1 Kings 18 energy went in his life. Have you ever been in 1 Kings 18 one moment in your life and the next year in 1 Kings 19? In one moment, you're at the mountaintop watching God show up. And in the next moment, you want to die. In one moment, you're on the top, got the world on the ropes. And the next moment, your track record shows up at the front door. Elijah switched up. He went from 1 Kings 18 energy to 1 Kings 19 energy really quick. Church, hear me when I say don't switch up now. God has been too good to you. Every time we go through something, we switch up our energy. Every time our relationships don't work out the way we want, we switch up our energy. Every time we see somebody succeed and we think that should have been us, we stop coming to church. Every time something gets hard in our life, we stop reading our Bible. Why should you run from trouble? Hard times are no excuse for serving God part-time. Don't switch up today. Don't switch up now. So Elijah makes it to Mount Horeb, and God asks him this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? 1 Kings 19.9, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. So God responds by literally ignoring Elijah and says, go meet me out on the mountain. So he goes out on the mountain, and we know there's hurricane winds, there's earthquakes and fire, but then instead of speaking in that, God speaks in a still, small voice and asks him again, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in this place? You're not supposed to be here. Why are you even here right now? And again, Elijah complains that he's the last one. And God, again, straight up ignores Elijah and doesn't answer him. And instead he says, and you need to catch this as I wrap up and we have the keys come back up. First Kings 9, 15 through 16. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, to be, Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Maloah, to replace you as my prophet. What's important to notice here is that when one of God's people has the greatest mountaintop moment of their life, which leads to a death sentence, which becomes the lowest moment of Elijah's life, God responds one way. What God doesn't say is, oh, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. You're right. You are the only one. It's okay to give up. It's okay to run from the place that I've called you to. No, God didn't respond to Elijah's pain with pity. God responded to Elijah's pain with purpose. And I love how God, in the midst of what we're walking through, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our First Kings 19 moment, where he sees where we're on mission, but we're not in alignment with the place we're supposed to be, doesn't sit there and say, oh, it's, it's, it's okay, don't, don't try, just stay there. But what God does is he responds with purpose. Why? Because he knows when you get back into alignment and on purpose with God, then your blessing and your provision flows in that place. Maybe you're struggling with your blessing and provision because you are out of alignment with God. Maybe you're miserable because you're on mission but out of alignment. You're fighting God every step of the way like Jonah did or Samson did or Absalom did or whoever we name. Maybe you're struggling in that place. 
But the best thing that God did for Elijah was to put him back on track with his purpose. I know it's early in the school year, but I want to challenge you to do one thing. Never get out of your bed in the morning without knowing what your mission is and being in alignment with what God has for you. So all across this room, I want us to pray right now. If you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Terry, I know where I'm supposed to be. I know where I'm supposed to be. But to be honest with you, I am struggling with it. I'm struggling with wanting to do it. I'm struggling with showing up. I'm struggling with being fervent in my walk with God. I'm struggling with it. If that is you today and you are on mission, but you are out of alignment with what God has for you, I want you to slip a hand in the air and I want to pray for you today. Go ahead. If that's you, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Jesus, I thank you for those who are in the room. I thank you, God, that they showed up. Sometimes the biggest thing that we can do in the midst of our First Kings 19 moment is to simply show up, to show up to what you have for us and to align with your will for our life. God, never allow us to be on mission but out of alignment. God, help us to come to you and say, Lord, I'm ready to do exactly what you ask me to do. And Lord, you might be asking people in this room the same thing you did, Elijah. What are you doing here? I haven't called you to Mount Horeb. I've called you to Israel, he told Elijah. Get back there and you will find your purpose. You will find your mission. You will find your provision. You will find your blessing. But I pray, God, that you keep your hand heavy on us and never, ever, ever let us get out of alignment. God, we thank you in your name. And everybody said, amen. One last thing before I hand the mic off. After God tells him to go do all that, he ends with one sentence. And I have preserved 7,000 other people like you who hasn't bowed a knee. Students, hear me when I say this. You are not alone. And the biggest lie that the enemy can ever feed you is that you are alone and make you believe it. He said, I have 7,000 other people that have not bowed a knee to Baal and won't bow a knee to Baal, and they're standing strong. And you got to understand, when you are in this, when you are growing, when you are learning, when you are inhabiting the call of God, when you are getting on mission with God, when you're trying to find your alignment in his will, you cannot do it alone. Serving God is not a solo sport, guys. It is a team game. It's something you have to be in. So I do want to challenge you if you are in that isolation place, if you are in that solitary place today, to not let the sun go down today without finding your tribe, without finding your people, without asking for prayer, without humbling yourself, without confessing your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And watch God do something great in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's give God praise one time.